Hey guys. Ooh, got a hot mic. I'm excited. Um, so if you don't know, my name is Keegan Livers, and I'm the student minister here at Lincoln Hills. And so um, I'm really excited. I've been really looking forward to this um, since the start of the Mark series. Uh, when Frank told me that I had Mark 7, I was like, sweet, I'm diving in. And so we're just going to jump right in this morning. And so I'm going to read uh, for us. And so if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open those to Mark chapter 7, they'll also be on the screen. But if you're like me and you like to be all up in that thing, then... Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read us verses 1 through 30. It's a really cool chunk of scripture. So uh, I'm going to read this, and it's going to be on the screen. It says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they've washed, and there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? And Jesus answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as he, as he wrote, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. And then Jesus says, Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, Whatever benefit or gift you might have received from me is Corbin. It's an offering devoted to God. So by doing that, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many other similar things. Then summoning the crowd again, Jesus told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. And Jesus said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart. It goes into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared, All food's clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions— Deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all of these evil things come from within and defile a person. And so he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he couldn't escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. 
So that's Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 30. And this is, it, this is so cool, you guys. There's, um, there's five, like, boxes that I'm going to talk about today that this chunk of Scripture is, like, the way that it's structured is, like, like when I read this, it, it's just, like, it's so cool. So there's these five boxes, okay? So there's a confrontation of Jesus. So Jesus is confronted, and he gives a response. And then over here, Jesus is confronted, and he gives a response. And then there's this, there's this centerpiece where Jesus teaches about evil and about the human heart. And so we have confrontation, response, and then the centerpiece where Jesus teaches, and then we have a confrontation and a response. And so that's what we're going to look at, and we're going to jump right into box number one. So that first confrontation, um, when we look at verse one of chapter seven, it's very interesting to see. Uh, so the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. So we're just going to look at this first confrontation. How was Jesus approached? And so the Pharisees, like, if you don't know, the Pharisees are, were a very strict, legalistic, religious party of Jewish people. And the scribes, these are like Bible teachers. These are professional. They know the scriptures. They know the Torah. And they teach it. Scribes think professional Bible teachers. And so these people, they come to Jesus from Jerusalem. And so there's so much packed in just this one sentence. Like when you hear Jerusalem, you think like that unlocks everything, right? That's like Hollywood, New York, and Washington, D.C. rolled into one city. Jerusalem is the place. And so the Bible teachers and the super religious people, they come all the way from Jerusalem out to Galilee to Jesus. And the picture is they gather around him. And so they gather around him, almost like coyotes, it feels like. And they immediately, they question him. And they say, they, they observe that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean. Remember, unclean. Unclean, that is unwashed hands. And so they come all the way from Jerusalem out to Galilee to see this young, super compelling prophet, Jesus of Nazareth, who's been going around healing people and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And you get this sense immediately, like they come all the way from Jerusalem and this is what they ask him. They say, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat the way our grandparents told us to? And so immediately uh, Mark paints this picture of how they approach Jesus and you get the sense that these people, the scribes and the Pharisees, are more concerned about the outside and the inside, that they're more concerned about um, earthly matters and human rules and traditions than they are about ultimate spiritual matters. And so um, Jesus' response is, is just awesome. And so Jesus' response, so box number one, we have how they approach Jesus, uh, what their identity is as scribes and Pharisees, where they come from, and what their attitude is towards Jesus and how they address him. They immediately question him. And so Jesus' response right here in this whole mirror that Mark is building in this story, Jesus' response is he quotes the Bible to the Bible teachers, which is something like Jesus always does. You know, he gets confronted by Bible teachers and he goes, you know, have you read your Bible, Bible teacher? He says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. And so immediately, uh, hypocrite, that word in Greek, that's like stage actor. Jesus is calling them pretenders, stage actors immediately. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13. And so uh, we're going to put that up on the screen. Isaiah 29, 13. Um, so it says, 
The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me and human rules direct their worship of me. And so um, as we've went through the Bible in a year with the students, we spent a lot of time in the book of Isaiah. And what you learn in the book of Isaiah is this is a point in Israel's history where they have failed to rule as kings that they've been set up to be um, from Genesis on, where they're told to rule and reign. You know, we end up in the book of Kings and they're just totally departing from the way of the Lord. They're obeying uh, the worship laws of other countries around them, other nations, and they've totally forgotten about the covenant they made with God. And so that's when this scripture comes up. This is right before the Israelites are about to get swept out by Babylon and taken into exile. And in that scripture, way back in Israel's past, it says the Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service. Yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. And so when the Bible teachers and the religious leaders, they come to Jesus, this is what unlocks in Jesus' brain. He's like, those people that God is speaking about in Isaiah, he's like, you are no different from them. And so he says, abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human traditions. And then he talks about how they've taught people, even though Moses taught. Again, Jesus is like, have you read your Bible? Like, did you look at what Moses taught? Moses taught to honor our mother and father. And then Jesus says, but you guys teach people that if your mom and dad are in a financial hardship and they come to you, that you can just tell them anything I would have given to you, mom or dad, I, like, I'm going to give it to the temple, to God. And Jesus is like, you're nullifying the word of God. Like, doesn't the word of God tell you to honor your mother and father, but you're using your own rules to get out of stuff? And Jesus says, you do many other similar things. And so as we look at that, as we look at the second box, at Jesus' response to the first confrontation, you get Jesus basically telling these Pharisees and scribes, like, you're disregarding the ultimate spiritual matters of the utmost importance to elevate your own name. You're elevating your own name, your own rules, and your own traditions over what's actually important. And so what Jesus... Uh, tells the Pharisees and the scribes here gives us a lot about Jesus' character and about the nature of God and about what's going on in our world and what really, um, what we can find ourselves taking part in as well. And so we have these high-ranking elite Bible teachers and then just these super religious people that are way more concerned about their own wisdom, their own values than they are about a life of faith in God. Um, when Jesus quotes Isaiah back to them, he's letting them know that their worship is empty. There's nothing there to it. They might show up to temple. They might sing songs. They might say the Psalms with their families every day, but Jesus says it's empty. There's nothing going on there. And so where they're focused on the outside, they're not focused on the inside. They're looking at the disciples' hands and whether or not they dipped them in water before they ate. They're not concerned about what Jesus is teaching. And so the scribes and the Pharisees have fallen into the same trap that we see on page three of the Bible, where we see Adam and Eve, rather than trust in the wisdom of God, they decide that they want to grab knowledge for themselves, that they want to seek out uh, knowledge on their own part, that they want to define good and evil for themselves rather than trust in God. And that's the same trap that the Pharisees and the scribes have fallen into. And this encounter, um, this encounter right here is important enough that Jesus says, 
like everybody stop what you're doing and listen to me. Like we've all probably been in a situation like this. I know I've been in these situations millions of times coaching or being in youth group or just being in children's ministry like ever, like where something crazy is going on and it's kind of hectic and then someone says something and you go, everyone please sit down because we have to address what just happened. Like if you work in a school, like you definitely know this, like everyone stop and listen, we have to clear this up. And that's what Jesus does right here. So right here in verse 14, um, Jesus, he summons the crowd. It says, summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he goes into the house. So Jesus is disappointed in these religious leaders and the Bible teachers. That whole encounter is disappointing. So he dips into the house, and then the disciples ask him about the parable. And Jesus says, like, you don't get it either. Like, are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize nothing going into a person from outside can defile him? And then he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. And then Jesus hits this idea of evil three times. He says, for from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts. He says, evil actions, all of these evil things come from within and defile a person. This is this centerpiece teaching that Jesus gives right here, that the whole movement right here in chapter 7 is based around. Jesus' concern, we see, is so much bigger than washing your hands in a way your grandparents told you to. Like, Jesus' concern is on this force of evil that is trying to take over the world, that's hijacking human hearts and ruining the good creation that God set up in the book of Genesis. Jesus' concern is so much bigger. He's worried about that evil that's hijacking our hearts, that's causing people to do selfish things, to elevate themselves up at the expense of others. And in other words, Jesus is saying, like, Washing your hands in a ceremonial way, like that doesn't cleanse your soul. And Jesus is concerned about our soul. He's concerned about the life that God gave us in the book of Genesis. And so we can't replace a life of faith in God with our own rules is what Jesus is getting at here. And so, I mean, we can look around at that today and it's as evident as ever that, you know, as people teach, uh, people teach you this online, people teach your kids this all the time. They say, whatever your truth is, like live your truth, whatever that is. You've all heard this, like whatever's true to you, like just whatever's in your heart, whatever you desire, like live by that. Where does that get us, right? Everybody lives by their own rules. This causes catastrophe. This is the alternate kingdom that gets set up in the Bible from page three on. When humans decide they're going to define good and evil for themselves, each person gets to decide what's right, what's wrong, how should they live in the world, how should the relationship with God be, how should the relationship with other people be. Things turn bad quick. People are oppressed, there's violence, there's injustice, there's death because of that. And so the whole story of the Bible is just what is God doing about that nasty alternate kingdom that humans set up? And so that's what Jesus is concerned about. When he gets confronted by the Bible teachers and then he gives his response, his response, he gives this big centerpiece teaching about evil and how it's hijacked the human heart. And so Jesus says these things. He's obviously disappointed in this confrontation, and he tries to get out of there, right? Verse 24 says, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. So Jesus, exhausted from this 
encounter he's had with Bible teachers where the people who are leading Israel, like the very people who God set apart from the rest of the world in Israel that were supposed to be a light to the nations to show the rest of the world what God's character is all about, Jesus is like, they don't get it. Like, they don't even get it. And then he goes into the house the first time, and then the disciples don't get it. And Jesus is like, these people I've been spending every day with, pouring myself into, teaching them, like, they don't even get it. And so he's exhausted from this, and he wants to go be alone, and it says he can't escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. And so this is where the fourth box goes. This is where Jesus is encountered again. He's confronted again. And so we really just, I really want to look at this encounter because what we start to see here is that Mark is building this mirror where based off of this first encounter, this first confrontation in response, and then we read this centerpiece and then it's like, how are you going to think about this encounter? And Mark is just doing a thought experiment here with us where he's like, you really need to think about what Jesus said in the centerpiece based off these two encounters, how Jesus handles them. And so we need to look, first of all, it says the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth. And so we're in the first confrontation, Mark immediately talks about their identity and where they're from. They're Pharisees and they're scribes and they came from Jerusalem. And then he gives the identity of the other confrontation first. He says, she was Greek. She's not a Jew. She's Gentile. She's from Seraphonicia. And so we have the mirror being built here so that we can think about how Jesus thought about these encounters so it can mold the way that we think about it. And so immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Think about the encounters Jesus just had with the religious leaders, the Bible teachers, and with his own disciples. They're the people who are supposed to get it. Like, they're supposed, it's supposed to click for them. And Jesus is like, they don't even get it. Like, how am I, like, how am I supposed to describe this? Like, the Jews don't even get it. And then this Greek woman comes to him, and Jesus is exhausted. And he says, it's not right to, like, give this to you. Like, they don't get it. And then she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Like the door gets shut in her face and she knocks on the door. And how does Jesus respond to this? Jesus says, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When Matthew writes this same story in his gospel, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Jesus honors her faith. Where the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus with no faith, and Jesus calls them stage actors. Jesus honors her faith because she's wise, she's humble, but she's courageous in the way she approaches Jesus. And Jesus loves it, clearly loves it. And that had to be a bit of a recharge for Jesus after this confrontation that he had over here. And so as we look at the last box is Jesus' confrontation and how he responds, there's this mirror that you guys can see. Can everybody see like this mirror that Mark is building and how cool that is? But then Mark goes, I'm going to put a mirror inside the mirror. And this is where your mind just really gets blown. So we look at the comparison that Mark is building between these people who confront Jesus. So in the first case over here, we have the super religious people in the Bible, teachers. And then the inverse of that, the mirror, is this Gentile woman. How do they approach Jesus, right? 
They surround Jesus like coyotes or hyenas. They encircle him and she falls at his feet. They immediately question him and she calls him Lord. And so you're getting this mirror that's building right here where they're concerned about unclean hands. She comes to Jesus about what? An unclean spirit. They're concerned about the outside, the earthly matters. She's concerned about what Jesus was concerned about here in the middle, the human heart and the evil that's hijacked it. She comes about an unclean spirit. And so whereas Jesus told them, you all elevate yourselves above your own mothers and fathers, this mother lowered herself to the most extreme extent and acknowledged that she was outside of the Jewish people She lowers herself to the extreme extent and calls herself a dog, but she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. And where Jesus calls them stage actors, he tells her, your faith is great. And so this mirror inside of a mirror that Mark's painting is meant for us to come away from it and give a response of, okay, who who am I going to be? How am I going to approach Jesus? Do I approach Jesus with my own questions of why are you doing things this way? Or do I approach Jesus with, I'm concerned about the evil that's taking over the world and and Jesus is the only one that can do it? Because they seem to think that they're the ones that are going to save themselves with their own rules. Whereas the Gentile woman, she recognizes God as the only person that can do the saving because she falls at his feet and says, Lord, the same way that everyone in the Old Testament falls at the feet when they cry out to God. And so we get this picture that Mark gives us where Jesus, we see what Jesus is concerned about in comparison to two situations. Jesus is here to conquer, to confront and defeat the evil that is hijacking the human heart and ransacking God's good world. That's what Jesus is concerned about. It's not the ceremonial human traditions that get handed down. And so you might have something that pops into your head when you think about that. Like for us, it might not be washing our hands before we eat. Maybe it's the way your parents like told you to dress or way your grandparents told you you have to think or you have to vote, what you have to listen to or what you have to say. Like Jesus is like, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the evil from page three of the Bible on that's mysterious and it's confronting us. Like Jesus is like, I'm here to confront and defeat that. And so that's what Jesus is inviting us into. And so there's a really beautiful poem that I think um, talks about this all beautifully. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 1 Samuel. And so that's where we're going to kind of end today. In 1 Samuel, there is a lady named Hannah. And Hannah can't have children. And her husband and his other wife can have children, but Hannah isn't able to have children, and she's heartbroken about it. And she cries out to God, and the story is that God gives her a baby boy, and that's Samuel. And she sings this beautiful song to God, and the song is about how God's taking that nasty human alternate kingdom we talked about, and it's how he's turning it upside down, and he's going to make all things new, and his anointed one. So I'm just going to read this for you and think about what Jesus says in light of the scripture in 1 Samuel. Hannah sings, The Lord brings death and gives life. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. 
Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And so this gives us the beautiful picture of the upside down kingdom that Jesus brings. When he comes and he says, the kingdom of God is here, so repent and believe, like come join the kingdom. That's the alternate kingdom. Jesus comes and he says that he's going to uh, humble the proud people that exalt themselves and that he's going to exalt the people who humble themselves. And so that's the, that's the picture that the whole Bible is leading up to, that you get a picture of it where in the story of Babylon, where they build the Tower of Babel, and then they want to make a great name for themselves and elevate themselves above God. What does God do? When they try to make their own name great, he cuts that down and scatters them. And then he goes and grabs this no-name guy, Abraham, and he says to him, what? I'm going to make your name great. It's the upside-down kingdom that God is establishing to confront and defeat the nasty, evil-ridden human kingdom that's been set up. And so as we look at this, the beautiful mirror, what's our response to it? And that's what, like, that's what I just want to land the plane on. What's our response to it? Are we going to approach Jesus um, like, like coyotes, like he's here to work for us and we just want to question him or because we're concerned about our own name, elevating ourselves and our own human rules, or should we approach Jesus like the humble, courageous Greek woman that comes to Jesus and she's concerned about the evil that's hijacked the world? And so um, the offer that Jesus gives us is to come into the kingdom, the kingdom that he's setting up that gets rid of the nasty alternate human one. And so if today, if, if that's something that you have a decision to make about, you're like, I want to take part in the kingdom that's here to defeat the evil that's hijacked our hearts. That's what I'm concerned about. If you just need to pray with someone today, when we finish, there's going to be people in the back that will pray with you if you have something going on. Or if you have a decision where you're like, I want to be a part of this kingdom. I want to be baptized into Christ and be a part of the kingdom of heaven forever. Then we can make that happen too. And so I'm just going to close us in a word of prayer, and I'm just going to pray to God that, that this story this week could just mold the way that we think about how we come to Jesus and what our heart's like and what our attitude is like with him. So I'm just going to close us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for just every single person in this room uh, that has showed up on a Sunday morning just to listen to scripture be read out loud, God, and to talk about um, what it means. And so, God, I just pray for every single life in this room that they would make the decision uh, to join the kingdom, God, the kingdom that's here to defeat evil. Um, the, the nasty kingdom of the world would be defeated by you, God. I just pray um, that we can all live in that truth, the truth that you came and said, this is the one truth, that we're not living by our own truths. You're not making up your own rules. Jesus, you came and said that you were here to establish the kingdom, and you've invited us into that kingdom. And Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for that. And I just want to pray that this week our minds, our actions, our thoughts would be molded by this story. This story of how do we approach Jesus? What is Jesus concerned about? And is that what we should be concerned about? So God, I just pray that every person in this room would leave here with courage, that they would leave here humble, and that they would leave here ready to lift your name high 
instead of just their own name, God, that the only rest they could truly ever find, the only joy they could truly ever find is in your name and in your kingdom, not anything that we can set up ourselves. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. And we pray all these things in his mighty life-saving name. Amen.